Hey there, before we get started, just a little disclaimer. The following episode is going to be based on a topic that some people may find a little sensitive. That is black history, faith communities, non-belief, and the way those things all play on each other. With that said, we welcome you. But if you feel like you may want to put this off for another time when you're ready to go down that rabbit hole, this is a good time to put it in the saved folder and come back whenever you're ready. Otherwise, let's go. Our guest today says Christian nationalism's fabricated history conceals an important historical truth that religion and government are best kept on either side of an impregnable wall. He's Andrew Seidel, and he's a constitutional attorney, author, and civil rights advocate. And he's exposing this fabricated history to tell bigger truths on this episode of Where We're Heading. Free thought, stories, gender, politics, blackness, education, doubt, critique, science, achievement, engineering, Africa, America. Supreme Court of the United States of America, September 2020. I got the greatest love story that Jesus Christ loved and Jesus came to that Jesus saved. Jesus saved. Jesus loves you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jesus saves. Bye-bye. What you want to say? Bye-bye. 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 We don't need it. You hear me? Are you saying bye-bye? Ha-ha. You heard me. Bye-bye. You heard me. Bye-bye. Say it again. She was a Jewish what you, woman. What is that? Jesus was a Jew. Okay. You're not saying anything that anybody hasn't heard before. Okay. So you're not telling us any news. Okay. And it's so not you good. heard that message. Yeah. So you're going to be message. accountable for it when you take your last breath. Yeah. You're going to be accountable. And if you keep rejecting it, hell will be your home. You're going to be accountable to Zeus. We all say to Zeus. Yes. No, I'm not. You'll be accountable no. to. Yes, you'll be Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Bye. that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not accountable to Zeus. Yes, you are. I believe in Zeus. Okay, you can say you believe in Zeus, but guess what? He's a fable. And guess what? Zeus. You're gonna stand before your maker one day. Your maker is God Almighty. Payday someday. You will stand before him, and you will have to bow that knee, and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I want you to do it while you're living, so you know where you're going. I don't. I don't take threats. That's a that's a promise. That's, that's God's I, word. I don't care about God. I, don't care I know about you don't that. care about His word. I do. Bye. And I care about your soul. Bye. That's why I'm out here. I'm you don't going. care about my soul. I care about your soul. That's why I'm out here. I, Tell I, me don't, the I don't care about what you think about my soul. I don't take. I'm telling you what God says about your soul. Where, I'm not telling you what I say about your soul. Where's your God? Say again. Where is your God? Right here. Okay. In my heart. So he I heard in your you, heart. I He's heard a prayer you. away. Do you want to receive it? No. I'm I know a, you don't. I'm an atheist. But guess, Jesus loves atheists. I don't care. Just don't die an atheist. Because you care. know where your home will be. I don't care about where what will your you home think be? about. In hell. 
I live down the street. I don't want you to go down and go to hell, I live sir. down the street. I don't want you to down and go to hell. I live down the street. I want you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ Thank and have you. a personal relationship with him Thank and live you. eternity that with means, him forever. That means absolutely nothing to it me. It means everything to me. Okay. So great. So we got the freedom of speech. You can go ahead, raise your voice, and talk about what you believe. I'm not going to lose And I can my, talk about what whisper. I'm not going to lose my voice shouting whisper. for a God that don't exist. Well, I know he exists. He saved okay, me. Great. He saved me. You can Google great. me. Sam Bethay, in and out of the county jail 29 did, times. Did your God, I was a monster. Did your God, I was a hellion. But Jesus came to set me free. That's great. And I, It is. That's good for and you. And guess what? Freely I receive, not freely I want to give it to you. Keep it to yourself. No, I can't. No, keep it to can. yourself. That's what's wrong with the church. We're keeping them to ourselves while people are dying and going to hell. I invited our next guest, Andrew Seidel, to come and speak with our legacy audience in 2020. He's a constitutional attorney, author, and advocate for civil rights with the Freedom From Religion Foundation in Madison, Wisconsin. He happens to be white, and when we started promoting this, this event online, we got a rather racist or racial response from someone in our own secular community who thought that Andrew was being a token of our program. Well, aside from that being one of the most ignorant and out of turn things anyone could have said, particularly in a secular community, the reality is that Christian nationalism is relevant to all of us, especially black people, as we discussed in our last episode. So if you missed it, that episode, and you too are wondering what a white person or white Christian nationalism has to do with anything relevant to black people here in America or around the world, now is a good time to go back and listen to that previous episode on the Pope, the Puritans, and Paul the White. Because today's guest, Andrew Seidel, author of The Founding Myth, Why Christian Nationalism is Un-American, is here to tell us why a new approach to the so-called Christianation is needed more than ever in today's political climate. Joining us from our very first legacy program in 2020, author Andrew Seidel. In my opinion, the highest compliment an author can receive is seeing their book all tabbed up and oh, yes. underlined and highlighted like that just, I forgot. That just warms my cold godless heart that was so wonderful to see thank you uh well welcome everyone welcome into my home uh you're on the desk on that i wrote this book on it's really a pleasure to have you here um i wish we could be doing this in person Roe and i have been trying to set something like this up it's i mean it seems like it's been been years really that we've been trying to get something like this set up um I'm excited to have you. I, this is going to be a little more intimate setting, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm honored to speak at the Black Nonbelievers Legacy Series, I mean, alongside Dr. Cameron, Dr. Dent, Mr. Wright. And as Ro mentioned, I was asked to come speak about the founding myth, why Christian nationalism is un-American. And I'm going to do that broadly, and then I'm going to kind of narrow down on some issues that I raised that I think are more relevant to the Legacy Speaker Series. And then I'm going to leave time for questions because I know there is just so much happening right now and to have a chance to ask like a constitutional lawyer questions uh, may be something that people want to do. So there will be time for that. If you've got them, just hold on to them. The question I try to ask in the founding myth, one of the, the, one of the fights we are having right now is do we have a government of the people for the people and by the people, or is ours a government of the Christians for the Christians and by the Christians? That is our battle. Christian nationalism is an existential threat to our republic. That is why I wrote The Founding Myth, to destroy the identity that Christian nationalists rely on by exposing and destroying their common well of lies and myths. 
Uh, Christian nationalism is the idea that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, that we are based on Judeo-Christian principles and that we've strayed from that foundation, right? We've got to get back to our godly roots. And they use that language of return to justify all manner of hateful and evil public policy. And Christian nationalism seized power in 2016. The best predictor of a Trump voter in 2016 was thinking that the United States was founded as a Christian nation. That was better than them being a white evangelical. It was better than any economic worries they might have. Uh, Christian nationalism incorporates a lot of those different threads, racism, economic anxiety, republicanism, evangelicalism, all of those into one sort of incestuous ideology. And the fact that that was the best indicator of a Trump voter should tell you that Christian nationalism is not a scholarly debate about the founding of our country. It is an attack on who we are. Christian nationalism is an attack on who we are. The goal is to redefine America according to the Christian nationalist identity and then to reshape our law accordingly. They want to make it so that to be an American is to be a Christian and to be a Christian is to be an American. And since a lot of you are in DC, I want you to think back to June 1st, 2020. I know it seems like it was a decade ago, but try to cast your mind back to when Trump had peaceful protesters gassed, beaten, brutalized with rubber bullets so that he could walk to a church and pose with a Bible upside down as it turned out. People protesting racial inequality, systemic racism, racism in policing, police brutality, they were gassed and beaten in a scene that hearkened back. Right? Trump tri- trampled each of the six rights protected in our First Amendment in an effort to align our government with his Christian nationalism. It was a haunting, despicable scene that really, it really encapsulates so much of what is wrong and un-American with this sinister exclusionary movement. Now, the point of that malignant farcical stroll was to show that Trump and this nation are churched, that we are Bible-believing and Bible-beating, that we are a Christian nation and anyone who disagrees with us should be beaten and gassed. The point is to elevate one group above others. Again, the goal is to rewrite and redefine our constitution so that it creates two classes of people conservative Christians, Christian nationalists, and everyone else, right? It's not just Christians and everyone else. It's got to be the right kind of conservative Christian and then everybody else. This is and has been the goal of Christian nationalism, to codify Christian privilege, to elevate Christians to the special favorite class. Everybody else, second-class citizens. Many Americans already know something about what it's like to be a second-class citizen, but that is the goal here. And it's really important to understand this is not just about photo ops, right? Remember, Trump tapped into that undercurrent of fearful Christian nationalism and wrote it into the most powerful office in the world. Now, there's good news, real good news, not like the Christian version of good news, actual good news. And that's that their entire identity, the entire identity of the Christian nationalists, their claim to be the true heirs of the American experiment, it depends on certain myths and lies. And they are things that you have heard repeated many, many times, and you're going to hear them repeated more and more often as we near November 3rd, that we are one nation under God, 
and in God we trust, that the Declaration of Independence mentions the Christian God four different times, that the founding fathers were all evangelical Christians that, who prayed during the Constitutional Convention, that George Washington knelt in the snow at Valley Forge and prayed, that our laws are based on the Ten Commandments. All of those lies are debunked in the founding myth. And without the historical cover that these lies give, their policy justifications begin to crumble. Without their commonwealth of lies and myths, their identity begins to wither and fade. And with it, their power, their claims of legitimacy, their unity. In other words, their entire political and ideological reality is incredibly weak and vulnerable because it is based on historical distortions and lies. The problem that we face is that we need more than facts to fight back. We need better arguments. And that is the true purpose of the founding myth, to give you those better arguments, to utterly destroy this un-American political ideology. I want to give you new and better arguments. So the book is not simply a refutation of the idea that America is a Christian nation. Instead, I went deeper. I asked a question that lies at the heart of their claims to legitimacy. I asked, did Judeo-Christian principles positively influence the founding of the United States? And the answer to that question is no, they did not. America was not founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And it's a good thing because Judeo-Christian principles, and especially those that are central to the Christian nationalist identity, are thoroughly opposed to the principles on which the United States was built. The two systems differ and conflict to such a degree that, to put it bluntly, Christianity is un-American. So that is the argument that I make, that there are these two conflicting systems, that they have irreconcilable differences. That is the founding myth. The point is that America will never be a Christian nation because the moment it becomes a Christian nation, it will cease to be America. That is the argument that we need to be screaming from every rooftop and in every forum. America cannot be a Christian nation. Christian nationalism is incompatible irreconcilable, antithetical to America. So this is what makes the founding myth different, right? Previous books have offered this gentle correction to the Christian nationalists. You know, hey, here's what history actually tells us, and here's what the founding fathers actually meant, and here's what the founding fathers actually said, and then they kind of leave it at that. And that's important, that's good work, but correction is not enough. Otherwise, we, we wouldn't have President Trump, right? Pointing out errors is insufficient. So this book does that, but then it takes the next step. It goes on the offensive. This book is an assault on the Christian nationalist identity. Not only are Christian nationalists wrong, their beliefs and identity run counter to the ideals on which this nation was founded. They are un-American. Now, if you were paying close attention, you notice that the question I asked, the central question, was whether or not Judeo-Christian principles positively influenced the founding of the United States. Because the we, the people, that embodies our constitutional identity is not fully realized. And I don't argue otherwise in the book. And one of my favorite quotes of all time is from James Baldwin. In Notes of a Native Son, 1955, he wrote, I love America more than any other country in this 
and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. I agree, and I criticize much, perhaps maybe not enough even in the founding myth. Uh, but you know, let's take for example, you know, Roe mentioned that I worked to fight to keep Jefferson's wall of separation tall and strong. Let's take Jefferson as an example. I mean, this guy was, he was a moral coward. He enslaved his own children. Thomas Jefferson could write of freedom so eloquently and condemn slavery even in fervent terms. And there's a rough, there, in the founding myth, I, I show a, a rough draft version of the Declaration of Independence where he condemns the Christian king of Great Britain for allowing the slave trade, uh, something that even the infidel powers wouldn't do. And he did it in these really broad and sweeping terms that you see in the rest of the Declaration, right? And so he could write of freedom eloquently and condemn slavery in these fervent and revealing terms there and elsewhere, while at the same time owning slaves, fathering children with those slaves who then themselves became slaves. This is, I mean, it's a paradox of cowardice. One of our, the great intellects of the founding generation excelled at communicating these grand ideas in in poetic terms that still enthrall us centuries later, but he failed utterly and in terrible ways to practice some of those ideas. But let, I mean, let's, let's back up. Let's look at the national scale as opposed to the individual scale. There's even more to criticize because many of America's founding principles are aspirational or they were for a long time. Since the American founding, successive generations have failed to fully implement those values, leaving it to their children to conquer human tragedies like slavery and segregation and the subjugation of half the American population, women. We've made, we've made a lot of progress towards including all people in we the people. And we've made gen genuine strides towards genuine equality, but there's still so much work to be done those as yet unmet goals don't alter America's founding principles. Instead, I think they speak to our ability and probably more importantly, our appetite to realize those founding principles. And those Judeo-Christian influences, slavery, segregation, misogyny, uh, we could add our fetish for legislating sex onto that list, uh, exist, right? That Those are Judeo-Christian principles that influence the founding of the United States. But those are poisonous influences that we need to purge from the body politic. We are still fighting against those influences today. And that's, it's actually a crucial point. So historically, religion gets dragged into modernity by secular movements and ideals. When it comes to progress, religion does not lead. It follows. And Professor Mark Smith has done some excellent work in this area. He likens it to the tail wagging the dog. And this seems counterintuitive to people, but it's only counterintuitive because religion later comes along and claims credit for the progress. It rewrites history, which is exactly what Christian nationalism is trying to do right now with America. So think about the historical opposition to divorce, to women's rights, to abolition, to desegregation, to civil rights, to LGBTQ rights. The stronger religious 
theological and biblical arguments were on the wrong side of history. Sure, some religious groups were on the right side, but the better biblical and religious arguments were always on the wrong side. And less rigid, less orthodox religion, the religion that was on the right, correct side, was liberalized by secular ideals and values. So take a for instance, secularism. Secularism drove religion to abolition. It drove churches to examine their collective consciences. This is why Frederick Douglass wrote that revivals in religion and revivals in the slave trade go hand in hand. And look, this is something that even Martin Luther King Jr. recognized. His letter from the Birmingham jail, something I reread every year, was written to his fellow clergy. It wasn't written to the country at large. It was written to his fellow clergy who were one of the biggest stumbling blocks in the way. He often spoke, MLK often spoke of religion and the church as being a taillight when it ought to be a headlight. Now, again, this only seems counterintuitive to us because so many people equate religion with morality and they think that religion is responsible for progress that it did not accomplish. So to give you a more modern example, think of the opposition to equal marriage. Think about that. Who opposed equal marriage? It was almost exclusively Christian nationalists, exclusively religious. The, the hatred and the ideas underlying that opposition were almost all based in the Bible. But watch what's happening right now. And 10 years from now, 40 years from now, LGBTQ progress will have been because of religion. They're already starting to claim this. If, you're, if you start paying attention to it, you will see it. And this is really a critical point. Religion is about the status quo, not progress. Religion is about privilege. It's about a chosen people holding an ultimate truth, not about equality. I'm so glad Roe read that, uh, those couple of passages uh, in the introduction. They really illustrate that. Often we think of Jesus as this bastion of equality, and he really wasn't. But this also tells us that the absurd claim that America was founded as a Christian nation isn't true. Because if this were about truth, if this were about historical truth, Christian nationalists would be willing to claim any Christian influence, positive or negative, on the American founding. They would happily admit that Christian biblical justifications for slavery and subjugation of women. Yeah, we did that. They don't do it because it's not about history. It's about the here and now. Christian nationalism is the narrative by which the shrinking conservative white Christian minority seeks to maintain power and political ascendancy over a majority that is increasingly interested in equality and racial justice and reproductive justice and environmental justice and economic justice and on and on. And as America nears the tipping point at which Christianity's power and privilege are reduced to equality, the Christian nation myths are going to be trumpeted with renewed vigor. The Christian nationalist is not going to go gently into the obsolescence for which they are bound. They have grown accustomed to religious privilege. They are used to imposing their beliefs on unsuspecting school children. They expect politicians to pay lip service to their deity. They demand acknowledgments of their God on government property. But that time is ending. The end of Christian privilege is near, but you have to fight. And as progress marches on, 
the lies exposed in this book are going to be professed more often, more loudly, and with more desperation. You must be prepared to refute them factually and vocally. So the founding myth gives you the facts, and more importantly, it gives you new and better arguments. You are responsible for the rest. Outspoken resistance is, as James Madison told us, the first duty of citizens. And as I've been talking about the founding myth more and more this year, where everything seems to be going wrong, um, I get that this is hard for a lot of people. In many ways, I think the fight for state church separation is a privileged fight. Right? After all, what does it matter if the government has an official religion or is trying to impose their religion on me if people are sick and dying, if they're impoverished, if they're homeless, if they're out of work? What does it matter when the courts are on the brink of repealing reproductive rights, when our schools are failing and our healthcare is being ripped away? What does it matter when our brothers and sisters are being killed in the streets and children are being thrown in cages? Does state church separation matter? I think it matters more. Those kids were thrown in cages because of the Bible. Attorney General Jeff Sessions cited Romans 13 to throw those kids in the cages. That was how they justified it to the world at large and to themselves. That was how they salved their conscience by pointing to the Bible. They learned how to do that in the White House Bible study. Whatever issues you care about, Whatever issues you care about, limiting the power of religion in our government, ending the Christian nationalist influence on our government will help. It's not a panacea, but it clears the way for real solutions, right? Do you want better education? Do you want full funding for public schools instead of vouchers for private religious schools? Do you want accurate science about evolution and sex taught in our classrooms? Do you want full civil and political rights for LGBTQ, for women, for minorities? Do you want reproductive justice and choice to be fully realized? Do you want a greener world and a healthier environment? Do you want America to get serious about global climate change and shun its deniers? Do you want access to better and universal healthcare? Do you want scientific research to be guided by scientists? Hell, do you wanna solve the problems in the Middle East? Do you want our responses to pandemics to be guided by science? and not wishful thinking? If you end Christian nationalism, end religious encroachments into government power, you will see progress on every one of these issues. So while secularism may seem like a fight for the few, the lucky, the privileged, I think this is a fight for us all. This is not a Christian nation. Our constitution does not belong to the Christian nationalists. It belongs to we, the people, all of the people. And it is about damn time that we take it back. Wow. Well, thank you once again, Andrew. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Are you currently on a faith journey of your own? Are you questioning, seeking to find community in a way that's outside of traditional religious institutions? or reimagining yourself in relationship to your community and your surroundings as a formerly religious person. You're not as alone as you think you are. There are communities and people and organizations that exist to help people like you in your own journey along the way of life 
in your questions, in humanism, free thought, in social justice, education, LGBTQ advocacy, scholarships, and more. You are absolutely not the only one. There are others like you, and we're organized, we're engaged, we're active, we're protesting, communicating, and we're trying to live healthy lives as best and ethically as we possibly can, and to have a little fun along the way. Learn more about some of these organizations, like the ones that have produced this podcast, Where We're Headed. You can find out more at AmericanHumanist.org and BlackNonBelievers.org. That's the American Humanist Association at AmericanHumanist.org. And on Facebook, search us at Black Nonbelievers of DC and Black Nonbelievers at BlackNonBelievers.org. Find us online, support today, check us out. That's it for this episode. That was Andrew Seidel, constitutional attorney and author of The Founding Myth, Why Christian Nationalism is Un-American. You can find that book anywhere books are sold. You can find it on Amazon or connect directly with Andrew on his website, andrewseidel.com. That's Andrew Seidel, S-E-I-D-E-L.com. Get your book and connect directly on social media with Andrew. We'll see you next time on Where We're Headed.